verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, oh, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, he had said these things to her. John chapter 20, as we look at this wonderful story of the resurrection together, and think about this question, facing death, who are you looking for? Facing death, who are you looking for? I don't know if you've been to funerals where this poem is read out, it's by Michael Scott Holland, it's on the list of things that people like read out at funerals. It's called Death is Nothing at All. And it should be on the screen too. Death is nothing at all, it begins. It does not count. I've only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you, and the old life we live so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. The poem ends like this. What is death but a negligible accident? Why should I be out of mind because I'm out of sight? I am but waiting for you for an interval somewhere very near, just around the corner. All is well. Nothing is hurt 
nothing is lost. One brief moment, and all will be as it was before. How we shall laugh at the trouble of parting when we meet again. I wonder how you respond to that. Thursday night, I was on holiday. A friend of mine got in touch to say, sorry to contact you so late, but my nephew, who's 17, was killed today in a freak skateboarding accident. Would you dare send the words of that poem to someone in grief? Would you dare? You see, the only way you can believe this poem is if you don't love the person who has died. That is the only way that death is nothing at all. It's remote, it's out there. We feel something, but not much, because it doesn't affect us directly. But when death hits you, when you lose someone you love, then far from death being nothing at all, death is devastating. The loss is incalculable. Your life has changed in an instant. Death changes things. And to say otherwise is a lie. But where do we go? Because you can kind of see why that poem is liked. It gives some sort of a hope, doesn't it? Life will carry on. Maybe there's something beyond the grave to look forward to. Is there something better? Is there something more real? Is there something more certain? Something we can hold on to when those we never imagined being without are taken from us? Or, as for some of you at home this morning and some of you in this room, you're facing death. Is there something more certain? Something more sure. Something that can give real hope in the face of real loss. Let's see. You see, it's not where the passage today begins. Sam read all of it for us because I asked him to, but we're picking up at verse 11, where it says, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And the first thing we see here today is the pain of death. The Bible doesn't try and pretend. It's not a book of make-believe. It's a book of real people facing real problems. And here's the biggest of all. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent to look into the tomb. Twice, you see. John doesn't want us to miss the fact she was crying. She was crying, she was weeping. She was beside herself. Because the loss for her was so great. She loved Jesus Christ. Not in the way that Dan Brown fictionalized in the Da Vinci Code, if you read that. That's fiction. There is no evidence of any sexual relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. They were friends. Jesus had many female friends. He's the only man never to overstep a boundary with a woman. 
the only man never to have a perverse thought in his head that he was ashamed of. That's what makes him unique and special, part of it. Mary was his friend. More than that, she knew his power in her life. She'd been taken over by seven evil spirits, demons. She would have been beside herself, out of her mind, insane. And the Bible says that Jesus rescues her. It's also likely that she was a prostitute. That was how she earned a living. And Jesus rescued her from that as well. In Jesus, she had lost the one who had transformed her life. Made her life so much more than it was before. She knew true freedom. But her hope was bigger than just for herself. She had watched Jesus repeat that miracle for others as well. That he had gone and set them free from afflictions, from illness. He would even raised the dead. And so her hope grew. And she believed that in the carpenter from Nazareth, this man who had no worldly possessions, she had actually found the great king of Israel who they'd been waiting for for a thousand years. When she looked to Jesus, she called him Lord. When she looked at him, she thought he was the coming Christ, the Messiah. And only a week before, it looked like the whole world agreed with her. Exactly a week before she stood outside this tomb weeping, she had ridden in with Jesus. He was there on the donkey. She had been with the crowds as they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king of kings. Hail David's greatest son. And it seemed like the whole world was agreeing with her. He's finally here. He's arrived. The years of waiting are over. We're going to be free. And then within the week, it had completely unraveled. One of Jesus' best friends had betrayed him. He was then arrested, and all his other friends fled. All of the men ran. He was then put on trial first by Jewish people for blasphemy, then by the Romans as a traitor, found guilty by them all. So they tortured him. There's really no other word for it. The Bible says that his back looked like a ploughed field by the time they'd finished with him. And then they whacked a crown of thorns onto his head. He would have been covered from head to toe with his own blood. So weakened that a man who had built many buildings couldn't carry one piece of wood anymore on his back. It was carried for him. And then Mary Magdalene had seen what she feared the very most, was that he would be nailed up, and he would be crucified, and he would die. And she would follow the men who paid for his burial, and she would see where he was laid. She saw the tomb. She knew where it was. And then like the rest, it was Shabbat, it was Sabbath. She went home, she rested. But she got up early in the morning, very early, while it was still dark, and she was out in Bethany, and she had a couple of miles to walk. And she walked to the tomb, and to her horror, 
the stone had been rolled away. It, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. She was even wondering who had moved the stone, but she didn't need to wonder because grave robbers had been. She knew it. So she ran to find the two men she thought could help her who were still in Jerusalem, Peter and John. And they run back. And they look into the tomb, and she's right, the body's gone. And Peter goes in, runs in, can't make sense of it. John says this, he went in, and he saw the grave clothes. And it was as if the body had evaporated within them. And John says in that moment, he saw and he believed. But then these men have left. And Mary's there, still with nothing but her grief and the end of her dreams. If this is a made-up story, it's a very strange one. If this is a made-up story, it's a very strange way of telling this. Novels didn't exist at this time. Fiction in the way we know it did not exist. If this is made up, they made up something that had never been made up in this way before. This way of storytelling did not exist. What this is recorded as is history. Eyewitnesses telling you what they saw. Peter and John went into the tomb. They saw the grave clothes where the body should have been, but it had gone. And now you've got to decide, do you trust this former prostitute to tell you the truth about what she saw? You might not. At the time, her testimony was inadmissible in court. That was why she went and got Peter and John, two men who could testify the body had been stolen. They could make a complaint. They would be believed. She wouldn't. Women in that culture were seen as notoriously unreliable, emotional, not to be trusted. Maybe you treat this account the same way. I read a book last week that reminded me a bit of John and Margaret in that it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. So when you believe in Jesus, basically your home becomes open. People can have a key to your home if they need it. John and Margaret have pretty much lived that way, letting people in and out of their home day, night, as required. The lady that I was reading is a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. It's a strange old name. She's from a family with organized crime links. The stuff in her childhood I'd only ever seen in movies is so far removed from my life. If you've seen films, if you're like me, are not very sanctified, like Goodfellas, which I've seen multiple times, it's a bit like the guy at the beginning of that, her childhood. She grew up, she was taken to clubs from the age of, I don't know, 11 or 12. She adopted a, a gay lifestyle. She was incredibly clever. So she became a professor at a young age in a university in the States. And then she met an older couple. And they were Christians. And they simply invited her into their home. And they didn't bully or badger her. They didn't try and force what they believed on her. They simply let her ask questions, live her life, and get to know them. 
And in that, she came to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel comes with a house key. But her own relationship with her mum was terrible. If you know words like toxic and codependent, then you're going to understand something of her relationship with her mum. When her mum was dying, Rosaria tried to share the good news of Jesus with her one last time. And here's how the book describes it. By this point, her mum was in a hospice and was dying. Rosaria writes, when we were finally alone, mum turned to me and I could feel the dread rise in my heart. Sar, I think as she shortened her name and nickname, Sar, I'm dying my way, not yours. You need to respect that. I've read your books. If anything was going to make me a Christian, it would have been them. But I am not weak like you. There's a lot of you in here this morning I don't know. I wonder, when you hear the story of Jesus, do you just thank God if you believed in him that you're not weak like people like me? People like Margaret, people like John. Weak people who need a crutch in the face of death. Maybe you find what I believe as credible as death means nothing at all. Maybe you're generous heart. You say, Neil, I'm glad you find comfort in that, but come on. Nobody, not one person thinks that really happened. Not one person really believes that's true. Come on. You're going to have to make your own mind up here this morning. Did this really happen? And if it did, then what difference does it make to you? Because the second thing we see here is the one person no one expected ever to see again. It's Jesus himself, the conqueror of death. Jesus, the conqueror of death. Mary doesn't recognize him. No one knows exactly why. She's frantic in her grief. You've probably seen that. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where the body of Jesus had been. On another day, that would have blown her mind. That would have been news. There's a being here from another dimension. In fact, there's two of them. In fact, one sat at one end of where Jesus had been, one at the other. She's looking into a representation of the Holy of Holies from the temple right in front of her eyes. On another day, she might have made connection. Today, none. She's not bothered All she wants to find is the body of Jesus. Why are you crying, she says. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she then turns round. She doesn't even wait to see what they've got to say. And she thinks she's seeing the gardener. As this healthy young guy stood outside. Bear in mind what she's expecting to see. Bear in mind how Jesus looked the last time she saw him covered head to toe in his own blood. Too weak to breathe. That's how he died. So of course she doesn't recognize him. She just simply he says to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And she says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if they've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. 
I love her for that. I don't know how she thought she was going to do it, but that's all she wants. She just wants the body back. That is the best that she can imagine. I can care for this man. Like we might put up a, a tombstone, might put some flowers on the grave. It's a mark of respect. It's a way of preserving the memory of someone we love. That's the best she can imagine. Let me tell you why. Because she's like all of us in this room. There is one thing I know that we all have in common. We're all quite different by background, different ages, different stages. Some believes in Jesus Christ, some not. But there's one thing we all have in common, and it's this. We've all underestimated Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you believe or you don't believe, let me tell you for a fact, me, you, everyone has underestimated Jesus Christ. You don't even get close in your estimation. Even those of you who have been following him for decades completely underestimate him. You haven't begun to explore his greatness and his majesty and his power. You're as lost in one sense as Mary. We underestimate him so much. Why are you crying, the angels say? Have you forgotten who you're looking for? It's Jesus. He's not the same as everyone else. But she's off to the next one. She sees the gardener. He says, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Trying to prompt her. And she just says, look, I've got no time for this. Where's the body? And then it changes on one word. Mary. Mary. He doesn't need to say anything else. He simply says her name. Mary. And in that instant, all the big pieces of the puzzle begin to fall into place for this woman. It seems that she probably falls to her knees. You would, wouldn't you? And she grabs him probably. Just hold on. You're back. The one person she never expected to see again alive in this world is stood right before her. She calls him teacher just as she used to. And he says this. He says, look, there's something marvelous that's happening here. He said, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. That's where I'm going. I'm going back to heaven where I came from. I'm ascending as the one who's conquered death. Go instead to my brothers, not his earthly brothers, but his disciples, and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, Jesus didn't come to bring more religion into this world. He lived in a day where there was quite enough religion. To hell with it. To hell with it. Look at the damage religion is doing in our world even today. Religion didn't save one person. Never has, never will. It creates people who are proud, people who exploit at best, people who waste their lives. At best. 
Jesus didn't come to bring more religion because religion couldn't save us. He came to die on a cross for you and for me. He came to win victory over sin and then prove he'd done it by rising from the grave. He was seen by Mary. Do you believe that? He was seen by his disciples. Do you believe that? He was seen by his mom and by more than 500 other people. And many of them died that you might have this book in your hands. Do you believe it? You see, you can know it without believing it. Back in the hospital, Rosario's mum was dying. She took a turn for the worse. And Rosario records what happened next. So mum put up a hand and gestured for me to come and come close. I'm dying, she said. I'm becoming weak, not strong. How is my soul made strong? Mum, your soul has been, it bears God's image and it will last forever even as your body wastes away. Her mum said, do you believe that crap? With all my heart. Maybe I'm becoming weak like you. If I'm getting soft like you, why don't I understand Mom, I think you understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for her sins and rose again. But because you don't know the shepherd, it seems like nonsense to you. Maybe you're right. So please tell me about him. You can know the gospel story. You can know what I've said this morning. You could even tell others what it is. But unless you know the shepherd, unless you know the shepherd for yourself, it won't mean a thing to you. It won't mean a thing. So let me tell you about that shepherd. He knows you by name. He knew Mary by name. Mary, he said. But he knows you by name. He knows about your circumstances. He knows about your hurts. He knows about the worst things you have ever done. He knows about your shattered dreams. He knows you as you are, and he loves you. He loved you so much that the good shepherd came to lay down his life for the sheep. He went to the cross for you. Everything changes when you believe in your heart, Jesus went to that cross for me. He didn't just die because he loved the world, he died there because he loves me. He loved me more than he loved his own life. He loved me more than he loved his life with his Father in heaven. He came to rescue me. And he rose from the grave, not to give me religion, not to give me something to do for an hour on a Sunday. He came to give me life. He rose from the grave to give me life in all of its fullness, in a renewed relationship with God as my Father and those who love him as my brothers and sisters. What do you believe?
I can't see into your heart. I can't see what's going on inside of you. But there's one who's present right now who sees it all, who knows it all, and loves us anyway. And in the face of death, he can be trusted. Two days before she died, Rosario's mum turned to Jesus Christ. And she was saved. But you don't have to wait. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe. Today is the day to listen to the voice of Jesus calling your name and to fall on your knees before him and say, my Lord, my God, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your words that is true in all seasons. It's not a myth. It's not a legend and it's not a lie. It's the word of truth and we know truth when we hear it. Lord, I pray for any here today who don't live in the light of this truth, for whom it means nothing to them. Lord, I pray that even now you might be speaking their name, that irresistible call. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, Lord, we underestimate you in all sorts of ways. When life's hard, we underestimate you. When our health fails, we underestimate you. When our loved ones are suffering, we underestimate you. Lord, help us to see you afresh this morning as the Lord of life, the Lord of death, the one who's conquered the grave. Amen.